Hey rock stars, I'm Lydia Billings. And I'm Colleen Starcoke. And you're listening to Rules Aren't Real, a Rowan Coaching production. Have you ever followed a rule that didn't end up serving you? Here's an example. I can't be an artist and make money. Or how about this one? You can't start a new career after 30. Colleen and I want to explore why people often follow these rules, even though they aren't always awesome. Every other week, we'll dissect and debunk a societal, cultural, or individual rule invented by humans. We'll also look at some of the neuroscience behind why we're wired to follow the beaten path. On the alternating weeks, we'll interview a super rad real-life guest who has achieved badass results by completely breaking the previous week's rule. Get ready to climb out of that box, folks. Welcome to Rules Aren't Real. Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, welcome, welcome, welcome to episode five of Rules Aren't Real. I'm Colleen. I'm Lydia. And we have Eduardo. (laughs) Eduardo, welcome, Eduardo. Lydia, you know Eduardo from uh, from a ways back. Why don't you uh, give an introduction here? So everyone, Eduardo uh, is a dear friend of mine, and I'll read you his official bio, and then we'll learn more about him. So Eduardo Coser is the CEO and founder of Fearless Communicators. He is a social impact entrepreneur, global community builder, and international public speaker. Eduardo is committed to building a just, equitable, sustainable, free, healthy, and peaceful world. Ooh la la. His global commitments include leadership (laughs) in the Braveheart Men's Movement and the Muslim Jewish Conference. Eduardo has a BA in English from the University of Pennsylvania, as well as an MFA in acting from the University of California, San Diego. Welcome, Eduardo. Yeah, welcome, welcome. All I can think of is, what do you do with a BA in English? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Yes. And that's, uh, that's entirely what we're here to talk about, right, is, um, you know, our, our last episode was debunking the rule, you should go to college for something practical. And we hmm. talked a little bit about what practical means to most people in this context, which is sort of the, the STEM uh, degrees, your, your science and technology, engineering, math, etc. And then what, what isn't counted as practical, which is mostly liberal arts and um, visual arts, etc., uh, so, why don't you tell us, Eduardo, when you first encountered this rule? Well, I was born into the rule, <laughs> what I would say. So I, so, I grew up in Miami, Florida. Uh, my family are Cuban immigrants. So, my family initially fled Spain because of Franco and Cuba because of Castro. So, it was the 20th century. Fascism. Ah! Communism. Ah! Um, <laughs> oh, no! Isn't that, isn't that just a, a way to describe history and atrocity? <laughs> anyway, so they came to this country in the late 50s, early 60s, you know, and I was born in the mid-late 70s, right? So, um, so I was born into a context where, like, my family had been of a certain privilege. You know, on my father's side, they'd been landowners. Um, my father um, had, both of his sisters had college degrees. He was younger. He came to this country at the age of 11, Um, But he was at, you know, a preparatory school for men of a certain class. And my mother, you know, was also born of a certain class. Her um, father, her great, her grandfather was a hotel owner in Spain and also in Cuba. So what happened is when they came to this country, they lost everything. 
right? So what you have is this is not only is there the rule of education has to be practical, but it's also it's got to be practical because we lost everything, <laughs> and mm. you've got to build what was lost, mm-hmm. right? So so I think for immigrant communities, it's it's hard to think of things that they would consider as being ornamental as not practical, like because the purpose of the job is to get ahead. Well, the purpose of school is to get ahead. It's not to learn, but to get a degree so you can get a job, so you can provide for your family, and you can provide financial structures and support. Um, because it takes a certain level of privilege to say, I'm, I'm learning just to learn, or at least that's the perception. Hmm. Right? To learn for learning's sake, it feels like, you know, in England, men of a certain class, do you know what I mean? Because they didn't have to yeah. work, would go to Oxford and Cambridge, and they would read English or, or read history, you know, and... And maybe then they would take a profession, but they didn't have to work, hmm. right? So learning was something that was considered, it was, it, it was well, at that point, it, was, it, was, it wasn't necessarily practical, right? It was uh, the scholarly pursuit, you know, was um, something that was not, was something that was academic. It wasn't practical. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? So, so totally. Me, even with my family, like, like if I wanted to be a professor that was not as sexy as like, being a doctor or being a lawyer (laughs) or being an accountant, you know, or being a salesperson, a salesman, Uh you know. So so I found myself, you know, as a kid, first of all, like I I desperately wanted to perform. That was like my dream. My dream was to be an artist and an actor. And it was born from very histrionic grandmothers and great-grandmothers. So my great-grandmother and my grandmother were huge opera lovers and theater lovers. And as a kid, I was like five or six, I would you know, build, you know, these giant sets and I would play theater with my toys mm-hmm. and I would play musicals specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. At my other grandmother's house, I would like on a Parcheesi game board, you know, play a Vita and a chorus line to her elder. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So I had this like desire for this expression, right? And the other thing that we'll add to the rule is that like, and that expression was not an expression that was seen as being masculine. So as a man, that mm-hmm. wasn't something that I could pursue, mm-hmm. right? So, so what I saw was school and academics as a way out, right? To create an opportunity and a pathway for me to build what I wanted to build. But in order to do that, I had to do it by everybody's rules, mm. right? So that's what I did. I played by everybody's rules. So I went to an all-male Jesuit prep school in Miami, Florida called Belen Jesuit Preparatory School, which is the same school in Cuba that my father had gone to, and it's the same school in Cuba that Fidel Castro went to. Um, So it was like the the school that men went to of a certain class and a certain academic ability. The school of schools. The school of schools, at least in Cuba. And then in Miami, it definitely had that reputation amongst the Cubans, right? Mm -hmm. You went to Belen, right? And the point of that was decidedly pre-professional. As far as like Jesuit education goes, you know, I didn't have any electives. You know, I had an elective my um, junior year of high school, which was journalism. It was the newspaper. And then I had two electives my senior year, which were AP Art History and Advanced Anatomy and Physiology. So like those were my electives. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Okay. You know, yeah, I'm you know, getting the world of it. And desperately, all I wanted to do was sing and dance. You know, so, you know, this but there was Poor no little boy. Ugh, I feel know. for him. Um, so I, ended, <laughs> I ended up actually performing. I, my senior year of high school, I 
I started singing at the school masses, and everybody was like, oh my god. And I had this expansive creativity, right? So like, I got rid of styrofoam in the high school cafeteria. Like, if there was a group I was involved and I was leading the group, you know, I was like one of the top students in my class. Like, like I was constantly in a space of expression and creation. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, like, all of that was an expression and creation, and none of it was actually pursuing what I really wanted, what I really loved, which was theater and musical theater specifically, and singing. And then what happened is my, the all-girl sister school, Our Lady of Lourdes Academy, um, was doing a production of Oliver, an all-female production of the cast of Oliver. And there were only three men that they were bringing in to play different roles, and they were looking for a man to play Mr. Bumble. So I was like the youngest, skinniest Mr. Bumble ever in the history. <laughs> you were like, hell or high water, I will be performing, I will be on stage. Exactly. <laughs> One boy, boy for sale, he's going cheap. You know, anyway. Bumble or bust. Um, so I sang, and then a teacher, you know, she said to me, you know, I, I don't say this to people because this has a real responsibility, but um, you really have a gift, and you have, it's a voice that, that you can pursue professionally. And I've been waiting my entire life for somebody to say that to me. And what happened is she's, that, that was told to me in the second semester of my senior year of college, of high school. So I'd already applied to schools. So I applied mm -hmm. to Harvard, Brown, Duke, Georgetown, and Penn, mm -hmm. and I got into Penn, the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. At that point, I was like, well, I got into Penn, so I'm going to go there. You know, I didn't know that I could apply to like, you know, a BFA program. I didn't have any experience. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't do community theater. I didn't know how to audition. I didn't know any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I went to Penn, and actually, before I went to Penn, I actually interned on the Hill um, with the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. And by that point, there was a woman who worked at the office. I worked for Representative Alcee Hastings. And um, there was a woman who had been a dancer, and she'd been a performer, and she'd been on the tour of The Wiz and all this other stuff. So I basically turned my summer internship on Capitol Hill as an opportunity to learn the time step, <laughs> you know, in tap dancing. <laughs> I was, like, so over Capitol Hill. I was like, this is, like... Like, the only way that I'm ever coming back to this place is as a member, because this is for the birds. You know, the constituent letters, like, all that stuff. I just, it didn't have any of the allure of being in the chamber and the debate and the negotiation. It wasn't any of that. Because what I loved was the theater of it, not sure. the, well, like, the performance work of it. it. Yeah. You know? Well, um, this is part of the whole journey, right, is, is spending real time and putting real work into the things that you don't want to do, because how else do you know, right? Totally. Mm -hmm. um, and then what I did is I, I moved to, so then I, I went to Penn. Initially, I, I went to Penn studying philosophy, politics, and economics. So I was going to study PPE, and I was going to go to law school and all that other stuff. Because I realized before I hated anatomy and physiology. Thank God I took that in high school. I was like, this. <laughs> Thank God for those electives. Oh, my God. I was like, this sucks. Like, and if I, like, can't get through, like, a semester of an ad a year of anatomy and physiology, like, I'm not going to get through med school. Like, this is terrible. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, and I was like, and then there's still moments where I'm like, I, I, I think I'd be a great doctor. <laughs> it's, like, it's just the science part I'm not any good at. Or it's, or, or no just, worries. Or I don't I need wanna, my doctor to be good at biology. It's yeah. fine. Um, or I <laughs> You'd just, probably make a really good doula. <laughs> I'd make a really good doula. Or I'd just be like a really great, like, I would play a doctor. Like right. A, You'd look really good in the, in the white coat. White coat. <laughs> and all that stuff. But you, know, you don't really want me like cutting in and digging in. And, you know. <laughs> so um, I just really, thank you for pointing that out because I realized like I experimented with a lot. <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, throwing myself. So anyway, so um, quickly when I got to Penn, I joined the Penn Glee Club. 
And that was like before the TV show Glee. We were just like the Warblers, but in the late 90s, you know, with red and blue um, ties and navy blazers and gray pants. Not cool, because there was not a TV show about it. And, and started performing. And I walked on a stage, and I was like, oh, my God, like, I've come home. Like, this is it. So, like, I found myself at Penn, which is a pre-professional school, like the Wharton School of Business, the School of Engineering, the School of Nursing. Like, everyone is pre-law or pre-finance track. I want to work at Goldman Sachs, or I'm going to work at Accenture. You know, and I found myself being like, I don't want to do any of that. All I really want to do is sing and dance. And I have this amazing opportunity of being at this Ivy League school, and I'm going to take advantage of being here, you know, and get what I can while I'm here because I know that this has a value. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I'll piece together what I can and then graduate and then build what I build. Mm-hmm. So what I did is spent, you know, four years navigating the University of Pennsylvania, you know, to figure out what is it that called to me as a course of study. And it ended up being, and I had this, like, this. I was going to double major and, like, and double minor. And then I was like, that was that overachiever in me that just had to, like, rest. But, you know, I was going <laughs> to... I, I, would, I initially said I was going to create my own opera major, and I was going to study like a year of Italian, a year of French, and a year of German, and I was going to major in music, and I was going to um, then also double major in English, you know, because I had to double major. And then found in music, like I didn't play any musical instruments, you know, I never played any musical instruments before, so like music theory for me as a 20-year-old, you know, sitting in a room with like solfege and, you know, uh, ear training, I was like lost. You know, I was like, I have no idea what the hell's going on. And there are people who have been playing instruments since they were, like, born who were like, yeah, that's a perfect fourth, and that's a major fifth, and that perfect fifth, and, you know, that's an Italian chord or a German chord. And I was like, help me. Oh, my God, this is a nightmare. You know? <laughs> and then during my first semester of Italian, I was, like, making up words because Spanish is my first language. So I would be like, oh, I don't have to study Italian. I could just be like, you know, um, io cantare, which is a verb, you know. Uh, but then I would say, io comere. And then the teacher, Nuccia, would say, Eduardo Spanglese. <laughs> you know, it's, um, so, it's so funny that you're saying this right now. I'm so sorry. But just the other night at a Fourth of July party, um, I, I studied opera, by the way, way back when, at, awesome. uh, at Indiana University, Bloomington. And so, you know, we had a little to drink, and it came out that I sang opera. So somebody asked me to sing. So I, I launched into, um, into an Italian opera. But I'd been drinking, too. So midway through, I forgot a word. And without thinking twice, I replaced it with tostada. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> and, awesome. And yeah. no one no one noticed. No Delicious. one looked at it twice. Yeah. But it was a classic case of... Yeah. You can say, Oh, oh mio tostada caro. Yes. <laughs> it was exactly that. It was exactly that. Oh, I love it. Breaking rules, left, right, and center. Listen, there's room for Spenglaze in the world, okay? <laughs> I love it. Uh, telling us. Yeah, go, go ahead. I have one question, um, which you can answer now or later. I'm curious, was there anyone else at Penn that was, like, carving out their own path? Totally. Or was everyone... Yes, they were. Absolutely. What were they doing? Like, what kind of things were they creating? Um, like, people were, like, majoring in folklore, or Amazing. people were, um, you know, doing independent studies, and people, I mean, there was definitely a culture of people creating their own body of interest. I, where I also found myself, because um, I ended up, after, after I decided that the music major was not for me, I was like, th- I mean, that was also a lesson in failure. You know, I was like, this is not, like, this is not my calling. Like, and the reality is, like, what I really mm-hmm. wanted to do was sing show tunes, not sing opera. 
Yeah. You know, so I was like, if I could go back to like when I'm in the elevator by myself and I want to belt out, <laughs> like, I'm not singing opera, I'm singing show tunes. So I was like, yeah. I gotta get that that's what, what my heart is saying. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I ended up finding myself, I was a Mellon Minority Fellow. So there was a program for the Mellon Foundation um, which sponsors students who are either African American or Latino or Native American. And it's expanded a little bit, um, but that those are the core uh, the, the core demographic, and it's sponsoring them in academic research so that they could then apply for PhD programs to increase the representation of minorities in um, higher education. So I became a Mellon Minority Fellow, and what I was studying was the portrayal of racial, ethnic, and sexual minorities in the musical, in the American musical. So that's what I studied. Oh. And what I did is I found a concentration in the English major which was called American Studies. So it ended up being a fusion of history and also English. So then all these courses started working like America in the 1960s and the history of the American South and literature of journey in exile and um, the American musical and Stephen Sondheim. Like there were all these classes that were being offered that then fit within the context of this major that I'd created. Mm -hmm. And then with that I ended up getting funded and one summer I spent the summer in New York and I saw seven or eight plays and then wrote a paper about it. And then my final, between my junior and my senior year of college, I actually went abroad and I studied in London for five weeks and I was fully funded and I saw 40 shows in five weeks. Ah. Um, and again, fully funded to see that. And then I created and wrote my own performance piece the second semester of my senior year called No Shame uh, about my experience coming out of the closet. So all of that was generated and created within the construct of me building my own path within the school. Yeah. Which was awesome. So it ended up preparing me for what I wanted to do and it gave me a breadth of experience that was really vast. And the other thing that it gave me, which was awesome at Penn, was people in my life who are exceptional. You know, like just people in my, in my life who are like exceptionally smart and brilliant and up to really interesting and innovative things. Like just the network of people that I know just a self-selection process that it takes for people to get into that academic environment. It's nothing other than the self-selection process and then they're in. You know, but it's like really interesting, smart, dynamic people that are in my life. And it's something that people who I know who went to BFA programs don't have that diversity in their life. Hmm. Yeah. Right? Because everybody is from, everybody majored in theater. Sure. It's almost it's almost like um your experience was less about informing you uh, and learning about what you wanted to do with your life and more about... What I don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe also more about who you want to be, I right? Think... Ending with coming out of the closet. Um, yeah. In addition to all of the, the academic questions and the career questions and everything else, it was sort of shrugging off you know, sort of the establishment as well as whatever you've inherited uh, culturally and from your direct family to find the, the the sort of inner you and how it wants to be expressed in the world. And I feel like it's the same question I'm going through now. Tell us more. Right. So, like, you know, I think that I have shunned the structure and have chosen to navigate the world as an expression of who I be in the world in expression of my truth, right? Which is at core, you know, being of service and 
and having people discover themselves as powerful in their self-expression. It's really interesting that what I do now is I'm a public speaking coach, right? So um, part of the, right, my own, I'm an entrepreneur and I have a public speaking coaching business, mm -hmm. right? And what I'll say is I spent probably the first 30 years of my life discovering my voice. Mm -hmm. And now that I've discovered it, my goal is to give other people that opportunity mm -hmm. and access to that so they can transform their communities and can transform the world. And I think that part of our journey in life is just figuring out where the hell are we, you know, and what do I do with it, and where I and, and how do I how do I be where I am, hmm. right? That's an expression of my truth, hmm. not hiding, not not being someone that you're not, not really being someone that I'm not totally. Yeah. There's this there's this great quote that comes to mind for me right now listening to you talk. It's a David Foster Wallace. Um, mm when he spoke at the Kenyon College commencement in 2005, he said, um, I submit that this is what the real no bullshit value of your liberal arts education is supposed to be about. How to keep from going through your comfortable, prosperous, respectable adult life dead, unconscious, a slave to your head and to your natural default setting of being uniquely, completely, imperially alone, day in and day out. Yeah. Does that speak to you at all? What speaks to me is I know that I come into this world and I leave this world alone. Mm -hmm. And the rest of it is my journey to figure out what the hell I do while I'm here. Mm. Right? And that's life. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have choice as to what that expression is. And I can choose to live it by other people's expectations of what that's supposed to look like, or I can take ownership and creation and build it in the way that I choose to. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of structures that are in place that give people the illusion that whatever they have is real. What do you mean by that? Like a job. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Like sure. it's, all made up. it's all made up, right? You know, and it could mm -hmm. go away tomorrow. You know, all we have, all I have is a life. Like what I have is a life and I have breath and I have air and I have my relationships and I have people and I have, you know, and it's, it's here in an instant and it's gone. I didn't expect this to turn philosophical or be even, even exploring <laughs> this now. You know, that's what I know, you know, and yeah. the rest of it is like, you know, we, we are creatures that are on this planet that are doing the best that we can. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And some of us come from it from a space of creation. Some of us come to it from a place of destruction. We're all just, you know, beings figuring out why the hell we're here. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, the experience is alone in that it is me. Right. And I'm, we, are, we are social beings, right? So, like, we choose to create in community, mm -hmm. you know? And we're affirmed by community, and we are built by community, and we thrive and survive in community. But fundamentally, it's still your journey, which I think oh. comes back to this whole idea that's the, the entire premise of our show, which is that rules aren't real, right? And the, the reason for that is a rule is something that applies to everyone. Right. And that can't work if you sort of just de facto, right, the way that it works. We come in alone, the journey, the journey, whether or not we have a good community and good relationships in our lives, we're still in our own heads navigating this journey, right? Totally, yeah. yeah. So 
Lydia, do you have any questions about, um, well, any questions, period, yeah. about role breaking, about what do you want to ask? We just got really philosophical, and there's a whole other side to this, which is when I, you know, went to grad school and studied acting and, you know, went into that space, and then, and then even my career as an actor felt like, is this really all I'm being called to do? Mm-hmm. Is this all I'm really called to be? You know, and found that even in the acting, even standing in the space of like landing in the career that I always aspired to, that there was like there was something that was missing, that like, there was something more <laughs> need to express, you know? Yeah. And I, would, I would show up at theater companies, you know, and I was like, they're like, what is this energy? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> I was like, well, why aren't we talking to the, you know, why aren't we going out and reaching out to these communities? And, you know, like I was reaching out to board members and having conversations with board members. And I was like, well, let's talk about the financial policy. Like, well, how are you building, you know, like I just was curious and engaged and interested. And that also didn't fit to the rule of like what I did in coming in as an actor into a contract for three weeks or, or, or you know, for three months. So I've, I feel like I've always been, you know, outside, you know. <laughs> a rule breaker. You're one of us. Breaker. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, why do things work that way? Yeah. You and know? what does, what, what has that internal questioning and curiosity, pr- like, allowed for in the long term over your life? Eduardo, I know you to be someone who doesn't just take something at face value, you, and not in a bad way, yeah. but you investigate the way things are and why they're happening the way they're happening, and I'm curious what you see that has provided for you? Well, there are two things. One thing is that I'm going to say on the side, I'm going to say the negative first. Okay. Right? The negative first is that sometimes rules are in place to play the game. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's a, there's a great line from the musical Pippin, which is, unless you're tied down to anything, you'll never be free. Right? Mm-hmm. So, there, so if I know the rules, then I know how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Sure. What happens is like I'm too busy having a conversation about the rules mm. that I'm not actually playing the game. Does uh-huh. that make sense? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like a distraction. It like it's keeps you on the side. Yeah. On the sidelines. It doesn't actually put me in the game. Because right. I'm like, well, if I were to do it, I would do it this way. <laughs> you know? Or why don't we look at, you know, so let's create new rules on top of the rules. Uh-huh. Which prevents me from actually playing, right? So I can get that that, that can be a trap. Mm. Now there's also the privilege has been that my life looks the way that it looks, and it's terrifying, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and exciting, and dynamic. Uh huh. You know, like I don't live for two weeks of vacation. Yeah. Like, that's not what my life looks like. Your you know? goal is not to escape your life. <laughs> my goal is not to escape my life. Now, now I am surviving my life and I'm creating in my life. I don't have the luxury of, you know, right now a 401k or like a pension or like anything like that. You know, and I see people who do and sometimes it's like, God, I wish that I could create that. I, not that I can't create that. I can create that for myself and what I'm doing now, but, but it's not what I have right now. Yeah. Well, and I think I think that's the other, um, you know, something else that Lydia and I definitely touched on in our last episode about this, is that, you know, if we're going back to the original rule of you should go to college and study something practical in order to be successful, that's predicated on an assumption that you define success by how much money you make. Yes. You know, and it, and it sounds like you're making a different decision. 
not that money isn't important to you, but it's not leading your decision making, it sounds like. It's not, and it would be really helpful if it did. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be uh, helpful in, you know, in that in you that, would maybe have more money, but like... In that I would have more money. Right, yeah. but if, is that what you're up to? Like, maybe, maybe not. And you it's know? not, you know, yeah. and, and I, can, I can get where it can be helpful, and I also get that what I'm really interested in is making an impact. Yeah, and what's the right. value been of this alternate path? Um, the opportunity has been to be surrounded by and be engaged with creation with exceptional human beings. I, I would say the privilege of being an artist and an actor for 15 years was the curiosity, the, the storytelling, the humanity, the, um, the breadth of experience of people who were or are creative artists. To be in a creative space of, cre of creation with them is such a gift. It's a real gift, you know, and, and, and what they offer or what we offer, because now I'm including myself in that conversation, is a breadth of human experience and um, a way of looking at the world and our time in it. Because what we do is we study people, right? We play people, right? We act people. So there's a certain amount of psychology and humanity that you're constantly in the exploration of that just affords an understanding and an ability, you know, and as actors we use language, and an ability to have the words to express it. Right, so that was my experience as an artist, which was awesome. And then in this social activism, um, social entrepreneurship space, the privilege of, of meeting and being with and creating with people who are heroes. You know, like I had the privilege of working in Kenya with this organization called Uhaye Ashri, and I worked with them. They do LGBTQ activism work. They fund activists in five East African countries. Cool. You know, so I'm working with like a transgender Ugandan woman, you know, who had to flee the country for her life and chose not to come in this, to the United States, but chose instead to stay in Kenya to fight for those rights in East Africa. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the privilege of working, you know, with a Muslim Jewish conference and, and, and befriending a gay Muslim imam, you know, and having him in my network and, and, um, this Pakistani woman who runs a social innovation lab, who's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life, who's working all over the world, you know, to inspire people to create um, projects and businesses for social good, you know. So, th and these are not. This is not my network. These are my people, mm -hmm. you know, that I get the privilege to create with. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm hearing. This, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. What I'm hearing is that the. The level at which you're able to make an impact, which is what you said is what's most important, it just expands because of your willingness and curiosity to break the rules. Because what that has allowed you in, you know, over time is this incredible network. And so now when you, Eduardo, in the United States, you know, want to go make a difference in Kenya, you actually can do that. And, yes. you know, like you can actually make a difference in conversations with um, the Jewish Muslim Conference. Is that the name? The Muslim Jewish Conference. Muslim Jewish Conference, excuse me. Yeah. So there's a real tactile sort of groundedness that you, it sounds like you have in your life that I think a lot of people really aspire to have, but because a lot of people follow rules, they get stuck in the path that they think they're supposed to be in. Yeah. 
And you know, I would say that choosing to go down the path of being a creative artist disrupted that inherently. So now I operate in that context. It's really interesting. It took me 10 years to call myself an actor, right? It took me 30 seconds to call myself a photographer, you know. <laughs> and the first wedding that I photographed was in Jamaica, and the second one was in Colombia. <laughs> you know, so it's just like, like I, I just, like there was so much ego attached to being an actor that once I realized, oh, that's all that is, I can just call myself something and then there it is, I can just be that, mm -hmm. you know, um, and people relate to you as that because that's who you say that you are, mm -hmm. you know, and all of a sudden, like things open, Yeah. you know. You've kind of answered this question, but I, I want to ask it, what... Why do you think it's important that other people in the world know that they don't only have to go to college to learn something practical? Why is it important that this rule be broken or that people know that they can break it? Well, it's a, there's this famous TED Talk, and it's about um, creativity and that creativity is what's missing from the school system, right? That what we have, you know, it's like look at, look at the challenges that we face in the planet. The educational systems that we were creating aren't solving those problems. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Mm -hmm. Right? Creating a new generation of accountants and um, and lawyers, you know, are not, and plastic surgeons is not going to create that. Sure. It's not going to solve hunger. It's not going to solve water. It's not going to solve population. It's not going to solve you know whatever. Yeah. What's missing is creativity. And it's what you're interesting. saying is if we are willing to break the rules, then we can change the world? <laughs> Absolutely. I would say that. You know, they did this That's study. What I'm hearing. There's, there's this famous study that said, you know, if you, if you, if you took a test, if, if you tested um, four-year-olds for being a creative genius, they would all be creative geniuses. Mm. Apply the same, no, I love that. Apply the same <laughs> test to like 25-year-olds, it would be like 1%. Yeah. Yeah. So, so our, you know, and it's it's really interesting. Like I, I had a revolution with the word creativity, right? There's this awesome test that I recommend everyone take. It's called the VIA Character Strength Survey, and it's um, done through the my alma mater, um, through Penn and their School of Positive Psychology. And what they've assessed is that in all cultures and faith traditions, like we all human beings can agree that these 24 qualities are good. They're strengths. So you take the test, and it, it takes like 15, 20 minutes, and it tells you on a scale, on, from 1 to 24 what your strengths are. And my first one was creativity. And I got really pissed when I saw it. I was like, oh, my God, there it is again. <laughs> Arts and crafts, why can't it be leadership? Why can't it be, like, social intelligence? Why can't it be wisdom? Why does it have to be freaking creativity? Uh -huh. you know, there it is, me scrapbooking late at night. You know, me, you know, wanting to do a collage or me in elementary school with my markers making my, my calendar look really pretty and beautiful or, you know, me, you know, wanting, you know, you know playing um, a beat in a chorus line. All of a sudden, creativity struck me as a negative, mm. right? And then, like, as I said, and bam, flash, the lightning flash. You know, <laughs> then it was like this, like, like, literally, I mean, it was like, like a lightning struck. Do you know what I mean? And I had this moment where I was like, wait a second. Wait a second. Let me look at the word. <laughs> Creativity. <laughs> to be creative 
It comes from the word and the verb to create. Mm -hmm. Out of nothing, I create. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is exactly who I am. Yeah. Cool. I am a creator. Yeah. And that has a myriad expressions. It's photographer, it's artist, it's activist, it's entrepreneur. It's um, the way I, I dress. It's the way that I, I cook my, my, my food and, you know, mix spices. It's, it's all a generative and a creative experience. Mm -hmm. And who I am at my core is a creative being. And that's what I do. I create. That's my biggest strength. That's who I am. Mm. Um, so, of course, like what I'm doing in my life is creating my life moment by moment in the way that is an expression of my authenticity. For me to conform would be like death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know? Like it would really? not be an expression of myself. Like I'm constantly generating and creating, right? And it can get exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's what I'm creating. It just yeah. is what that is. You're writing and unwriting your own rules all the time. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And awesome. I and for some people, that's not the case, you know, but that is the, the truth about how I operate mine. Yeah. You know, for my life. So if you could leave our listeners with one thought around this rule that you've broken and, and the value of breaking rules in general, what is the one thought you, you would like to leave with with the folks who are listening to this, this podcast today? It's Song of Myself, and it's Whitman. Um, and, and there are two parts to it. Um, the first is, um, I too am not a bit tamed. I too am untranslatable. I sound my barbaric yop or the roofs of the world. So there's something to me about being untranslatable which is like, like I am, I am not, <laughs> um, I am multiple things. And we have an ability, we have a, we have, we have a way that we just want to uh, fit into a box. To fit into a box, right? And then there's the other women quote, which is, do I contradict myself very well? Then I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. One of my favorite quotes of all time. Right? So yeah. that's what I would say to people is like to be present to their multitudinousness. <laughs> the word that I just Multitudinosity. Invented. Multitudinosity. Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag, hashtag multitudinosity. Um, and just to be present to that, you know. And we all have it. And we're, we've all been sold that we're not. And, it, and, it, it, and it's actually really easy. Like we have it that it's hard, but it's, it's actually really easy. And you just have an opportunity to be like, you know, I choose to create. And I choose to create in a way that speaks to my truth. Mm -hmm. And when I choose to create in the space that is my truth, what I'm sharing is my authenticity. And when I'm sharing my authenticity, there's only love, compassion, and generosity that's present, right? And if you look at rates of alcoholism and depression and you look at drug addiction, there is a major lack of self-expression, right? People are not given the opportunity to find their path and their way because they're told that that way is a no. Mm -hmm. And there's an opportunity for us in our lives to rediscover what that is. Yeah. You know, and to explore that and celebrate that. Beautifully said. And with that, I have to <laughs> <drop>. <laughs> All right, thank you so As much. As you say in showbiz, 
Theme. Uh, <laughs> Eduardo, thank you so much for being with us. I can't wait for our listeners to send us their thoughts on everything you've shared and be in the conversation with us and with you. And um, yeah, we're just so grateful. Thank awesome. you. I'm honored and humbled. Thank you so much. All right. So thanks again for joining us for this episode of Rules Aren't Real, where we got to hear from Eduardo and, and learn about his incredible journey. And as <laughs> always, um, we will be putting links to uh, everything that was referenced tonight from that um, character strength survey to Song of Myself from Whitman that will be on the blog, which you can access at www.rowancoaching.rar. Rowancoaching.com. Ah, yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> this is why there's two of us. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Rules Aren't Real. We hope it gave you some serious food for thought when it comes to the rules you might be following in your own lives. In fact, we'd love to hear about those personal rules of yours or any other thoughts you have about our show. Join the conversation on Instagram at RAR Podcast today. If you want to learn more about Lydia or me, please visit our website at rowancoaching.com slash RAR. Thanks again for listening. We can't wait to break some more rules with you next week. See you soon. soon.